and welcome to Jesuitical, a podcast by the centennially young, euphorically hip, and really lay editors of America Media. That lay part means we aren't Jesuits, but we work with them. Join us each week for a smart Catholic take on faith, culture, and the news, often over drinks. I'm Ashley McKinless, and I'm joined by Olga Segura. Hey, guys. And Zach Davis. And I'm feeling so good. Why is that? Because we just hit 100 episodes. Oh, my gosh. It's so exciting. I cannot believe I've been doing this with you guys for 100 whole episodes. Like, good, you can't I believe, know. or I can't <laughs> believe I made it through this. No, good, good, oh, okay, good, good, I can't believe. <laughs> yeah, it's been so amazing to make these episodes with you guys. And so we celebrated with a very special event here at our offices in America Media in New York City. Yeah, but... For our special 100th episode, we didn't interview anybody. Uh, Instead, we had someone come in and interview us. Yeah, so we brought in Kirsten Powers, who is a former guest of the show. She is a CNN analyst, former Fox News talking head, and Clinton administration appointee. So she was extremely qualified for the job. Yeah, it's kind of amazing to watch, Mm -hmm. quote-unquote, real journalists, like, (laughs) do their job. I felt like I was on TV being interviewed by someone super famous and professional. So it was a great episode. It was a great celebration. And as Ashley said, thank you so much to everyone who's helped make this podcast possible. That means you, listener. You make this podcast possible with all your listening, downloading, sharing. Thank you. But before we get to the show, we want to give a big thank you to our sponsor, Catholic Travel Center. Catholic Travel Center is a proud partner with America Media for six years, hosting their pilgrimages to Ireland, Italy, Spain, and the Holy Land. Catholic Travel Center is the customized group pilgrimage specialist, serving the Catholic community for nearly 30 years. To organize your organization's next pilgrimage, contact Catholic Travel Center at gocatholictravel.com. Yeah, and I think we can all vouch that they do really, really cool trips, so definitely check them out. All right. Hope you enjoy the live show. Um, So, yeah, I'm honored to be with you guys. I loved being on your podcast. And I think that a good place to start probably would be whose idea was this? How did you... Come that up is with a disputed this. question. Yeah. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> oh, we're already in like a yeah, controversial area exactly. here. Uh, go ahead, Ashley. <laughs> All right. Well, I I'll was... have the last word. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Um, I will say I think I was the biggest podcast junkie before Jesuitical started. Um, I listened to a wide variety of podcasts about politics. One in particular uh, was another religious podcast, Unorthodox, published by Tablet, a Jewish magazine. Um, and I listened to it and I. It's like three people talking kind of irreverently about their Jewish faith and the news. And I was like, why isn't there a Catholic version of that? Um, Because there there are plenty of Catholic podcasts that are either more like prayer apps or prayer guides like Father James Martin offers or apologetics, but not something that kind of showcases what it looks like to be a Catholic engaged in the world. Um, So I thought that was kind of a niche that we were qualified to fill. Yeah, and And, there were a lot of questions that we, a lot of conversations that we were having in our break room. And we were, as young Catholics, we were like, here are things that are frustrating us about the church. Here are things that, you know, are being covered in the news but are not being covered from a truly objective place. And we were just kind of like, we can totally do this in a podcast format because people would want to hear the things and the struggles that we were having ourselves as millennial Catholics. And by gr- break room, she means Cassidy's Irish pub. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was being a little PC, but that, that's, what, that's what we meant. <laughs> but, but backing up before that, I got to America in 2015, uh, moved from Chicago after college, and I didn't have friends. Um, and so I think probably like 
well, there's a lot of bosses in the room right now, so we'll say like 25% of my day at the time was <laughs> just sort of getting up from my desk and going and checking in on everyone and forcing friendship upon them. Um, and so that was how I got to know Ashley and Olga. Um, and that friendship, yeah. I think... So I wanted a podcast, he wanted want friends, friends. Yeah. and yeah. Olga couldn't say no to us <laughs> yeah. because she was the Peer only pressure. other young person. Yep, yep. <laughs> yeah, but I don't think it, I don't think the thing works if we're not friends. Yeah, mm-hmm. so, right. So, yeah. so well, he's saying he was the yes, yeah. And I guess <laughs> before we uh, move on to the next part, why don't you just talk a little about what what was it you guys were supposed to be doing instead of walking around like being <laughs> friends and hanging out? What What are your real jobs? I guess. <laughs> I'm an associate editor at America, and okay. I work on the op-ed team. I run our last take section, which is the last section of the magazine, and I'm also in the culture department, and I'm a writer, so I solicit a lot of pieces and also do a lot of reporting myself. So when I'm not doing Jesuitical stuff, I'm writing and editing um, and trying to get more different voices into the magazine. Yeah. I'm also an associate editor. I head our faith team, um, so I solicit articles for the faith and focus section um, and occasionally write op-ed or editorials and features when I'm forced to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I work on our digital team, so also as an associate editor, but I help out with a lot of website stuff, so that's uh, social media, newsletters, um, some testing with different features we want to deploy on our website. And right. Then, yeah. Okay, well, that's great. So you were talking a little bit about some of the, you guys would be talking in the break room <laughs> about some of your struggles mm-hmm. or things that, you know, you were frustrated about. Mm-hmm. What were some of those kinds of things when you were thinking about doing the podcast that you were thinking, um, you know, we need to have a conversation about this and maybe other people are struggling? I think one of the main things that we were talking about that we were often engaged in was what does it mean to be a young Catholic after college, after high school, when your faith community is very concrete and, you know, you're in school and it's so much, it's much easier to go to mass when you have other friends who are encouraging you to do that. Um, But in New York City, when you're a professional, how do you do that? And what does that look like? You know, is there a right way to do that? Is there a wrong way to do that? Um, So we were in our 20s trying to figure out what that meant. And I felt like, oh, this is also um, in 2016 when we're having these conversations and everything is as polarized as it's ever been. Um, And I feel like people were in different camps in battles that we had no, we didn't start and we had no interest in participating in. Hmm. Right. So we sort of wanted to, rather than go to our every the reestablished ruts in the road, um, just sort of look at it, um, not from any ideological camp or we're not trying to preach it we're not trying to explain it for you we're just trying to talk about it together and figure it out um as friends and i think that was also on our minds and ashley i think you've talked a bit about political homelessness i mean was that something that oh yeah you all feel or is this something that's specific to you i know i do i i I don't have very strong ideological commitments um i i'm a christian and a catholic first and i look at our political landscape and don't really see a place for myself um and i don't besides you know i work in america so i do have people who i can you know engage with um but i didn't see i didn't see that in the podcast landscape really um and so i did want to create a space where we could not not just have civil conversations, but conversations rooted in love, yeah. which is what we do here at Ama- at America. Um, and so I wanted, we really wanted to create a space where like Catholics who, you know, fall on every part of the political spectrum felt like they would be welcome um, mm-hmm. as, as guests and as listeners. Yeah. And so then how did you, you know, start brainstorming about, you know, what, who you should have on like how did you start to come up with the ideas for guests funny story we didn't we didn't actually think we needed guests at yeah. first okay. <laughs> yeah. 
we, yeah. we totally thought that the three of us are super interesting. We're so smart. People are totally going to want to hear us talk for 45 minutes every yeah. week. And we, Turn on the mics and let yeah. the money come in. Like, Zach was like, oh, I can make jokes. I can be funny. Ash can be witty. And we learned very quickly that that was not true. Yeah. <laughs> no one wants to hear me talk about The Bachelor for 15 minutes. <laughs> Which is an early pilot where yeah. we yep. figured out that was a segment. Mm-hmm. Um, so and that, so how were you figuring out, like, you're doing a pilot? How are, I mean, just so we for did, maybe, like, maybe for people who are pilots. listening who want to yeah. do a podcast, what what is that process? I mean, how You do have you... to turn on the mic. Like, you... Yeah. <laughs> Until you've gotten in front of the mic and listened to yourself, which is the most but did painful you have people who were experts oh. telling you what to do, or were you just no? You know, you're just no. not at first. It. No, we were no. totally just it. figuring okay. it out on our yeah. own. Yeah, yeah. There was a we we had a, a studio at the old office, which um, was more of a closet, um, <laughs> and there was some really nice equipment and Pro Tools software, and so I I went up and I taught myself enough Pro Tools to just turn the mics on. Um, we recorded it. So we recorded like seven pilots, showed the three kind of okay ones to our coworkers, got feedback, maybe recorded another one, sent mm-hmm. it out to like a focus group of people we thought might be interested, got yeah. more feedback, and then eventually had something that we felt comfortable presenting to our bosses. And that was, and and then you figured out you needed to start interviewing people or, oh, uh, right, okay. So three, then after three or four episodes of yeah. just yeah. us talking, we, we decided to yeah. interview people. And so did you have a certain idea of the kinds of people you wanted to interview or were you just picking your favorite people? How were you going about it in the beginning? Um, I think we were just hoping to Yes, we wanted to have people that we found interesting, but we were also thinking, okay, what will other young Catholics or even non-Catholic listeners, like, what are they going to find interesting? Who can offer a really fun, interesting take on faith, news, or culture? Mm -hmm. So we started from there and then started kind of brainstorming who were people that could fit into those um, guidelines. And I think one of the advantages we have working at a Jesuit ministry is um, we, we see ourselves and our coworkers as contemplatives in action. And I think that's kind of, if I was going to like pick one thing that connected a lot of our guests are people who are people of faith and they are living that out in the world in very different ways. So they could be a playwright or a architect or a comedian. And, Mm -hmm. but they're still, they're still able to talk about the way that their prayer life and their relationship with God influences their work. Did you ever think you would be interviewing like Sarah Silverman? No. (laughs) Even now, even now, that still feels super random. Yeah. yeah. I mean, how did that happen? I just shot my shot on Twitter. <laughs> she, As a lot of things happen. She, yeah. she expressed an affinity for the Jesuits on Twitter. Um, and then I was like, like, we have a podcast called Jesuitical. Do you want to come on it? And but that's pretty amazing that yeah. she saw yeah. it. I mean, and I assume she has a lot of followers. And yeah. um, I mean, I can say that we was definitely, counting. I think that was probably my favorite episode. Um, mm-hmm. Do you guys, I mean, I don't want to pin you down because you've had so many great guests. Who would you pick among your favorites? I won't make you pick one person. I Present company excluded. Yes. <laughs> yes, except for me, of course, obviously. Um, I think... Some of the people that I really like talking to are prophets within the church today, Um, people who are really radically rethinking of what it means to be church and how to stay committed to the church. People like Juan Carlos Cruz, who we mentioned, who is an abuse survivor, who's like one of the, I mean, 
made me cry when talking about how committed he was to the church still. People like Sister Helen Prejean, who is being a total boss, just like advocating for people who don't have a lot of people advocating for them right now. Um, so people, Matt Marr is a musician mm-hmm. who um, is m- making good liturgical music and non-liturgical music. And I don't really like quote unquote Christian music, but he's, you know, putting himself out there and changing the conversation around that. So that's how I would kind of group the people that I'd like talking mm-hmm. to. Yeah. And I've really enjoyed, I, uh, Father Martin described me as a politics junkie. So I really, we've had good conversations with people um, involved in politics who you might not hear talk about their faith often. Mm-hmm. Like you. But um, one that stands out uh, is Cyrus Habib, who is the lieutenant governor of Washington State. And like, I think he's going to be president one day. He is um, he's beaten cancer three times, was blind at age eight, uh, went on to be a Rhodes Scholar and a Truman Scholar and probably some other kind of scholar and is the first Iranian-American politician to hold state office. And I wouldn't have known any of that if he had not, you know, tweeted at Jesuitical one time and then we're like, mm. hey, want to come on? And he and he spoke about how, how Ignatian spirituality influences the way that he approaches politics um, and how, you know, the practice of doing the exam and going at the end of the day and looking back at the conversations he had with people who are on the other side of the aisle, he would think about those conversations, be like, okay, what, what could I have done differently to bring out the best in both of us? Um, mm-hmm. And so having conversations with people like that who, who are out there in the public sphere um, and have, you know, have deep spiritual lives that you don't often hear about. I think mm-hmm. that's what Jesuitical, it gives them a platform to talk about something that they don't usually talk about. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think for me, I'm, you know, everyone who's listening to the podcast has heard me say I'm an immigrant. I'm a woman of color. So for me, I've had a very different relationship with the church growing up. I grew up in the church, but I've been very distant from the church. And my favorite guests have been people who have been formed by their Catholic faith, but wouldn't necessarily consider themselves Catholic. But it's still clearly very much a part of the work that they do. Um, For example, we've had guests like Elizabeth Acevedo, Michael Arsenault, who are both two authors who talk about their struggles with Catholicism and how they've left the church, but still struggle with what that means in their lives. Um, And for me, I think that is super relatable. And I think it represents a lot of what the church is in this country, too. And I'm always surprised when, like, guests like that, Mm -hmm. who are clear talking about their Catholic faith or their Catholic upbringing, Mm -hmm. are often refreshingly surprised that a Catholic podcast is reaching out to them because mm. yeah. no one else in mm-hmm. the church has, which mm-hmm. just feels like... Yeah. yeah, Like, why would you not? Yeah. You know? Were you specifically jo- drawn to America Magazine because it was Jesuit or was it just because it was Catholic? We have varying answers. I, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, yeah. I was at Loyola Chicago, Jesuit school, um, getting to know Jesuits there. Um, and I was sort of at a place where I was going to go study more philosophy and theology for grad school. And I told my friends this my senior year, unless a place like America is hiring. Hmm. Um, and yeah, thanks be to wow. God, they, they were. So that's how what I was it specifically that draws you to Jesuits? Uh, their way of being in the world. They're I don't know. They're also very normal. Right. They can hold their own. Ad- and I mean, except it's for very, Jim. Except I mean, for Jim. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I mean Wait, by normal, I'm, I'm confused. I mean, yeah. What I mean by normal is you're not necessarily embarrassed to take them to a cocktail party. <laughs> and there are a lot of people you're not in the calling church. Them respectable, are you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You, um, 
And that's because they can talk to anyone about anything because they've got the they've got the spiritual formation. They they know themselves as wounded people and who are in need of mercy. Um, and so they are merciful and they've got the intellectual formation. And so they can talk about anything. And I always found that super admirable. Mm hmm. Yeah, so I went to, I've only gone to public schools uh, and didn't really know the Jesuits uh, before coming to America. There was one Jesuit professor at the University of Virginia. Wahoo, wah, sorry. <laughs> um, and so I started reading America in college uh, and really loved, I loved it. I um, was attracted to um, the way that they approached polarization within the country and when, and in the church. Um, mm -hmm. And it, it seemed like a place where a politically homeless person could could thrive. Yeah, I mean, because the name <laughs> Jesuitical, I mean, obviously you could have named the podcast anything, mm -hmm. right? It yeah. didn't have to be that. What was the thinking behind really tying it to the Jesuit name? Well, the term Jesuitical is a term that's ac actually been used in a derogatory way for <laughs> against the Jesuits. <laughs> huh. um, or reclaiming it. Yeah, so we yeah. decided to reclaim it, um, mm -hmm. and we decided to kind of show all of the good things that the Jesuits and the society has to offer. Um, and, the, and the impact that they've had on us. Mm -hmm. I don't know. We feel, I think a lot of people feel this way who it's sort of like, oh, I'm, I'm not, I'm not a Jesuit, but I, I work with them or I, I went to school with them or I was mm -hmm. taught by them. I think that's a, a, a common feeling among a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Do you have areas where you have real disagreements about things or do you feel like you are the cocktail of the week? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Very seriously. Yeah. We're not even joking. Like, there's so many moments where, you know, part of our show, we have the show often over drinks. Um, and every week we take turns deciding what we're going to drink. And every time Zach wants to bring a specific type of sweet cocktail, we never want to have it. And yeah, it's it like has, a, a, a sh McDonald's shamrock smoothie with Jameson or something. It's and like 900 like, calories. No, we're not going to do that. <laughs> but it, it, I want bourbon. Olga wants white wine. <laughs> It gets very tense, and you wouldn't think oh that cocktails God. would make us kind of argue with each other, but we do. Okay, you guys are like the sweetest people in the world. Seriously. <laughs> also, like, this is a socialist. This yeah, so there's that. <laughs> this is now, your biggest disagreement. Sometimes Ashley is a yeah. reactionary conservative. In that yeah. So here we go. This is what I was looking for. This is a little um, more. I want to mix it up a little yeah. more like this. Yeah. yeah. And I'm of... kind of in the middle just trying to keep the peace all the time. I'm just like, guys, let's just get through this recording without one <laughs> argument about socialism. I can't do it. I can't. Have no. either of you moved the other one like at well, all in terms of so your views? I'm no. <laughs> 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 but no, I, my kind of the way I operate is I really like I'm constitutionally conservative, but like I'm very open minded to arguments and I tend to like if I'm around conservatives, I tack to the left. If I'm around liberals, I tack to the right. So because I'm around Zach and Olga, like this is kind of my, I'm I go conservative just because. But there's nothing I he like said that's made you out. think like, oh, you know, I never really thought about socialism has, that way, or maybe oh, this is a I can good cover idea. My ears. <laughs> <laughs> no, I. They're probably we don't on the podcast at least we don't really go into like deep economic issues very often. But just well, in your well, friendship, I mean. well, yeah. yeah. One yeah. thing that helps, I think, is that. There's this place of love and established trust. And also we have this common language that we're speaking, which I think is one thing that is lacking a ton in our political discourse is none of us have defined our terms and none of us have really are willing to ask the bigger question of, OK, what's what are you really asking right now? Mm. And we feel safe enough both during our prep sessions and on the recording. Um, sometimes we're like, oh, this is going to be juicy. We'll save it for the recording um, during prep. But I, there, I don't know. I, I feel that 
way that we can at least retreat to our common heritage. And do you feel like because you're associated with the Catholic Church that you have to censor the things you're saying or that you can't be totally open about the struggles that you're having or if you were having doubts or questions? I don't think so. I think, I I mean, there are things that we cannot say, but like that is true wherever you are. Mm -hmm. Like if you're at Fox News, there are things you can't say about immigration. If you're at MSNBC, there are things you can't say about gun control. And if you're at a Catholic magazine, there are things you can't say because you're at the Catholic magazine. But I so happen to believe those things and think they're like the closest formulation Mm -hmm. to the truth that humans have gotten to so that's i mean that's why i'm here so i don't i don't feel stifled by that i feel like it's a creative tension that i get to work within and am better for it Mm -hmm. yeah and i think one of the things that i appreciate about being at america and being in this space is you know we can be very authentic about our struggles i know a lot of my friends who are in the secular world think oh well you guys can't talk about the sex abuse crisis in the church in an authentic way like you guys have to censor yourself and there are things you cannot say and i'm just like no we are like we're given the space to be very real about the fact that we're angry at certain leaders because of whatever reason you know Mm -hmm. um and i think america has given us the space to be comfortable being authentic in that way and i think people sort of listen to our opinions if not more differently once there's this established sense of okay they're in it for good right Mm -hmm. so this is not someone lobbing attacks from the outside this is these are people that have clearly given their lives to the church who are really pissed off about how some men right now are handling things Mm -hmm. and as long as we have that conversation in a respectful way and you know looking for the best in people who are, you know, struggling to figure it out too. Uh, I feel like we've been pretty critical and comfortable talking about our doubts. And mm. certainly our guests have been. We, yeah. we have, yeah. you know, you mentioned Sarah Silverman, who's yeah. someone who's been very critical of uh, the church. And, and I think it's really great for a Catholic ministry to be able to be in dialogue with someone like that um, and hold our ground yeah. and push her, but also to you know, model for the rest of uh, the public sphere how you can have those conversations. Um, And do you, what kind of feedback did you get back on that, you know, when she was saying some critical things? So on Twitter, there were definitely people who were just Mm -hmm. pissed and like, you know what she's said about abortion and Mm -hmm. she's a terrible person. Just that we talked to her at all. Yeah, They they didn't listen to the episode. They just saw that Mm -hmm. we had spoken to her and were very angry about that. Um, But I remember one very, very thoughtful email we got from someone who who saw the you know saw the headline of the episode and like went into it thinking why is judge Whitaker talking to this person like i don't really know her but like i know that she's said these things about abortion and this things about christianity like this is going to be very problematic and then listened to the episode and came out being mm-hmm. very glad for having listened to it mm-hmm. and thinking that you know being moved to tears by Sarah Silverman's um, willingness to with her new show go out and meet people mm-hmm. with very different opinions than her um, so those are I think those yeah. are the best kind of conversations we can have do you get a lot of a negative feedback or is it mostly positive feedback I mean do you feel like it's mostly it's, positive yeah. I would yeah. say so a lot early that, on there were some people who did not like my giggle but yeah. they've all left <laughs> <laughs> we we did have the one this one guy who after an early episode Ashley and I laughed a lot and said that the two women on the podcast were not very professional because yeah. they giggled a lot. Yeah. Um, yes. But for the most part, people people are just really 
grateful and yeah. really positive. It's and really moving because mm-hmm. we went into this thinking that there was this audience out there of people who maybe had some affinity to the Jesuits in college or with Jesuit Volunteer Corps and might find themselves in a new city and aren't finding a good parish community. Um, so we thought those people existed, and it mm-hmm. turns out they do exist, and we've we've heard from a lot of them. And so you feel like you have a real connection with yeah. the audience. Yeah, and it, it feels yeah. like a real ministry. Yeah. Not well, so I think we have to—we're going to turn and take questions from the audience, but before I'll just say, like, what's next for you guys? Like a Netflix show or, like, what's, <laughs> like— Yes, <laughs> I hope so. If, if you know who we can talk to for that, let yeah. us know because we would Let's love make that. it happen. I want that Netflix money. <laughs> pubs and podcasts. Podcasts and pubs. Exactly. Uh, I think— we want to keep growing the show and, mm-hmm. you know, seeing if we can explore some issues that we want to keep coming back to in, mm-hmm. a, in a deeper mm-hmm. way than, you know, maybe one episode allows for. Um, think about how we do that and just sort of refining some of the things we do with we're always trying to figure out what it means to have a consolation or a desolation. And like mm-hmm. we're trying to get better at praying. So that's yeah. more of that. Yeah. We have kind of settled on like a format that we're comfortable with and like, um, but we do think that there, I mean, there's a, I think there's a larger audience out there. So we really are just, we're focusing on reaching more people. So, you know, tell your friends. Well, that's great. Well, congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. This is an amazing accomplishment. So. My name's Faith. Really enjoy your podcast. It's wonderful. Um, My question is about advice for um, young Catholics who maybe struggle with connecting their faith with their day job. Um, Mm. You know, people who have possibly done service in the past, um, people who are maybe fearful of the word vocation. What advice do you have for them to, you know, step out of the pews and pursue their faith in all aspects of their life? That's such a relatable question, yeah. I think... Uh, I don't know the exact line, but St. Paul has something about always have a reason for when people ask you why you're joyful. Um, so the be- the biggest thing is one, be joyful, and two, when the time comes and you want to and you feel like you can talk about it, and it doesn't have to be super heavy-handed or anyway, create a space where those conversations are going to feel natural and comfortable and authentic. I think for me, one thing that has helped me is to just. This might come off a little cheesy, but my fiance is always reminding me of this. Um, but we're all God's children, you know. So I think earlier in my 20s, if I could not talk about faith with someone, um, granted, I have the privilege of working at a Christian organization. Um, but even with my secular friends, I would get very frustrated at the fact that they could, I could not be open with them about faith. And I was just like, you know what? They're also God's children. And every conversation that we have is a part of my faith life and their faith life their faith life, even if it's not explicit. And I think just always keeping that in mind has helped me um, in spaces where people are not necessarily Catholic. Um, This has been wonderfully enjoyable. My name is Nick. I am Jesuitical in a good way, much much to the dismay of my spouse and my children. Uh, That said, uh, the success of Jesuitical, the podcast, is clearly based on the resonance of your work with your core audience. My question to you, and and let's assume we we can figure out based on faith, hope, and charity what that resonance and connection is. What do you think the connection is with non-believers, with people not in the core? What resonates for them and what has grown this audience 
um, beyond where we thought it might be. A couple things, I think. One is that we try our best to over-explain things, even when it, we think maybe we've... Oh, everyone knows what the, the CDF is. Or, yeah, whatever, or, yeah, or even simpler things like everyone knows what Vatican II was. or we, we, do a, we try to do a really good job, and our producer, Eloise, helps with us a ton, just sort of serving as the representative of the listener and reminding us to over-explain things because there are people listening who don't know those things. And then maybe the other thing is that we're not actually trying to be overhandedly preachy, right? We obviously think of this as a ministry, um, but we don't come in with the assumption that we have something to teach you and you're going to listen to us right now. Um, we're just trying to be ourselves and figure things out from our perspective. Yeah. And I would say, I would say there's, I don't know, we have a joyful presence with each other because of our friendship and that attracts people um i know the reason i started listening to unorthodox a jewish podcast though i'm not jewish is because they were being their authentic jewish selves and i found it intriguing and fascinating and i was learning something every time i heard them talk to each other and i felt like i was sitting down with friends and that is that's the kind of environment we try to we try to make is you know people who are listening feel like they're sitting down with three friends. Um, and most of us don't only have Catholic friends. We all have friends of different faiths. Um, so if you can create that kind of rapport, I think you're going to reach beyond your your core audience um, to other people who, who might want to listen in. Hello, my name is Carl. Um, the Catholic Church has been quite famous throughout history as thinking not in days, weeks, and months, or even decades, but in centuries of thought process. And I think that's harmed the Catholic Church, especially recently with the speed of media and the speed of how we're talking to each other worldwide. How would you like to see the Catholic Church moving forward uh, from this point on, especially as young Catholics? What would you like to see happen? First thing I would say is, I, if only so many more people had been thinking and beyond what was in front of them in the given day in the church. Um, but big question, yeah, what do we want to see in the church? Um, I want to see. I want to see more. He wants to see collection plates where you can tap your phone and donate yes. money. <laughs> For real, I, they. Ha I mean, like, could a church just accept donations via Venmo? I don't know why is that so hard. Um, I want to see, yeah, more breaking policies and uh, ways of doing things that have nothing to do with our teaching or our deposit of faith that are just sort of operational that we feel very attached to for some reason. Uh, but in reality, we could we have a lot to learn from the rest of the world who uh, has really developed a good way of collecting money, for example. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, and I think, honestly, and we, we started to see this in the past year or so with the Synod, I think young people, I think allowing young people to step into spaces that are normally just given to men or other leaders within the church, I think that can really help us to break away from this sort of timeline that we've become known for. Um, and I, I know I feel hopeful knowing that Pope Francis and other leaders around the world are at least willing to talk to young people and willing to be to say, hey, what concerns you as a young person? What, what can we do to make your faith life easier? Um, and I think we're headed in the right direction. I, for one, appreciate that it thinks in centuries. Um, <laughs> yeah. so, um, I would say, you know, obviously there are places where entrenched bureaucracies and hierarchies and clericalism have led to real harm, and that needs to change. Um, but I think 
Olga mentioned the the Synod on Young People. I think the document that came out of that was very um, balanced in the way that it um, em- embraced the gifts and the restlessness of young people, but rooted that in the wisdom and tradition that other older Catholics bring. Um, so I, I wouldn't, I mean, I'm all for like yeah. Venmo, but. <laughs> but, but for example, is maybe the best way to communicate to the young church, a 200 page document? No, it's a podcast, which is happening <laughs> under the auspices of the church. Like yeah. it's, it's already happening. I mean, they're, I mean, I don't want to say there should be a million Jesuiticals because <laughs> then we'd have a lot We're of competition. To corner that market, yeah. <laughs> but... Steven, long time, big fan. <laughs> <laughs> and beer donator. <laughs> If you could canonize one person, <laughs> living or dead, real or fictional, who would it be? Man, every time. We, know, we knew this going in, and it still stumps us. Jeez. Who wants to go first? I'll go. Um, I don't think I've done this yet, either a live event or on the podcast. Uh, I would like to canonize Sister Jean Dolores Schmidt, BVM, nice. of uh, Loyola Chicago. Um, she needs no introduction. You probably know her from Loyola Chicago's Final Four run last year. But she has been just a rock in the community in the way that women religious have everywhere that they are. Um, serving um, just random freshmen down their hall, serving the basketball team, serving elderly people in the community, matching them up with young students, passing out newspapers to people in the shuttle line, um, and also just taking just random people like me and inviting them to a prayer group in her apartment um, once a week. And I mean, and she does that for so many people. And I was really happy to see her uh, blow up last year with fame. <laughs> but I also want people to know all the things she's doing. And so Sister Jean is a saint in my mind, uh, Saint Sister Jean. I always hate this question, um, and I feel like every time I give an answer, it's not a real answer. Um, so I'm going to give my real answer um, and say my uncle Tony, um, who was killed a little over a year ago, um, and he uh, had a complicated life, a complicated relationship with the church, um, and then, you know, I think was some ways hurt by his Catholic upbringing, and that hurt his own family in some ways. Um, but after he died, I found myself praying to him, and I had never prayed to the saints. It just was not a thing I found to be fruitful. Um, but I was in, like, an, oh, my own dark place in my life and found myself praying to Uncle Tony um, because he was always someone who, even when he was struggling, was generous to a fault and joyful and I felt like I could talk to without any judgment um so yeah I it's someone I've already prayed to uh, many many times and have have felt graces from doing that so I'm gonna say Saint Tony Saint Tony nice um I would canonize my father um he is the reason why my family is in this country and he is the hardest working person I know. He's someone who grew up in a very faithful family back in the Dominican Republic but has completely he doesn't even consider he considers himself an atheist at this point Um, but to me just the struggles that he's gone through and the way that he can still very eloquently talk about faith to me um, just said such a wonderful example and as I mentioned earlier I am attracted to people who represent the struggles that we 
experience as Christians. Um, and he's always just been a wonderful person. And obviously I'm biased. So I would canonize <laughs> uh, my dad, Julio. St. Julio. St. Julio. Yeah. <laughs> Kirsten? Oh, oh yeah. I, it would be my grandfather. Um, And I think that, I mean, my grandfather was an amazing grandfather um, in many ways, but I also know that I wouldn't be Catholic if it hadn't been for his prayers, you know? And I think that he was so devoted to the church, and my mother really turned her back on the church um, with some justification. You know, there were a lot of bad things that happened when she was growing up, and but my grandparents were so faithful and such wonderful grandparents. And we, they were from Arlington, Virginia, and my mom moved to Alaska, and they flew up every year to see us in Alaska, spent a month with us when people didn't really do stuff mm-hmm. like that, and um, were just so devoted. And I just really could, when I, when I, when I kind of came back to the church, I mean, I really, I guess I, I converted, really, because I was never brought into the church th- through my mother. Um, and he actually had me secretly baptized. I mean, he baptized me secretly. Um, and, uh, yeah, and so I've always really felt like his presence, mm-hmm. yeah. He was such an amazing man. I want to thank you, Kirsten, our mm-hmm. host, and also our hosts, Zach, Ashley, and Olga. Can you join me in congratulating them on a 100th anniversary? Um, thank you all for being here, but I just wanted to give a quick shout out to Eloise Blondio, who is always behind the scenes, but <laughs> this podcast would not exist without her. And she's amazing. <laughs> Jesuitical is brought to you by America Media and produced by Eloise Blondio. Our editor is Noah Levinson. Jesuit Formation, provided by Eric Sundrup SJ. You can follow us on Twitter at Jesuitical Show. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite podcasts and leave us a review. Shout out this week to Kelly VO. Jesuitical is produced in the William J. Loeschert Studio at American Media in New York City. This episode was made possible by Catholic Travel Center, the most trusted name in religious group travel. To organize your organization's next pilgrimage, contact Catholic Travel Center at gocatholictravel.com. For American Media, I'm Ashley McKinless with Olga Segura and Zach Davis. We will see you next week.